evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and intern Kylie is here as well. But uh, Stephanie Burke out of the studio. She's with Porter for his birthday. Happy birthday to Porter. They are uh, they're on an adventure. They're going to Oak Island. So anybody that watches that show, uh, Curse of Oak Island, that's where they're going, which is pretty cool. And uh, and Matt Moniz is out tonight as well. He's uh, he's working on something from home, so he was unable to make it in tonight. But we are here with you to talk about the paranormal, as we usually are each and every Saturday night. But we're in the middle of a tough stretch for shows right now. Last weekend was the X-Filers United Conference, so we weren't here for that. Uh, we missed the week before because I was in Winchenden. We're here this week, and then we won't be here for the next two weeks after that because we've got the Wicked Waters cruise coming up next week. And then after that, I'm, I'm taking the night off myself. I, n- I never take a Saturday night for myself, but I'm taking a Saturday night for myself as uh, news director Taylor Cormier and I are going to see Gilbert Gottfried. So that should be fun. We've got our orange wedge pins ready to wear. For those of you who listen to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, you know what we're talking about. For those of you that don't listen, you're missing out on what is probably the best podcast out there besides Spooky South Coast. Which, for those of you who don't know, we are a radio show. We're not just a podcast. Some of you listen to us after the fact on podcast or watch us on YouTube, but we are a live radio radio show on an actual radio station. It's just tonight we are not actually live on the radio because the Red Sox are on. So we're broadcasting solely on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. But that doesn't mean that we still can't run things just like it would be a regular radio show. That includes being able to take your calls, which we will do uh, throughout the course of the night. Uh, A little bit later on, when we get into our main topic of the night, which will be, well, hashtag Steve Steve Huff sucks. I can get a little uh, raunchy with the language here because we are YouTube only. But yes, Steve Huff at it again, and this should come as no surprise to anybody, anybody who is interested in the paranormal and is a researcher of the paranormal and spirit communication, you probably know the name Steve Huff. He was a guy who got a lot of attention a few years ago for his, well, now he has what he calls the Wonder Box, but there were some other earlier incarnations of that, and it didn't take long before people started debunking his work and realizing that he was just looking for money and fame. And that he really, really misrepresents what spirit communication is. We'll get into all that. We're going to unpack all of that. We're going to unpack how he got to have so many followers on YouTube, why they so blindly support what it is that he does. If you go to his YouTube channel and see some of his videos, you don't see a lot of dissension in the comments. And there's a reason for that. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to break down some of these celebrity communications that he's had. But all you need to know about the guy, if you're not familiar with him, and you can go to his YouTube channel if you want, and you can watch some of his, vid- some of his videos. Normally, I wouldn't recommend that people go there and, and even give him the views because that's just bringing in revenue for him. But he buys so many views anyway. At least I'm assuming he does. I have no proof of that. But uh, I've, I've heard from different sources 
speculation speculation here so that I'm not putting myself out there as making a, a slanderous statement towards Steve Huff. But the stories that I've heard are that he has purchased those subscribers and that a lot of those views are as a result of that. But I have no proof of that. If somebody comes out and says, I can talk directly to these dead celebrities, that's going to draw attention. So all of those subscribers and those views could be 100% legit. I'm just putting out there what I've heard. But whenever a celebrity dies, usually within 24 to 48 hours, celebrities reach out to Steve Huff. So the man must just be the most amazing ITC researcher that ever lived. He must be the end-all, be-all for paranormal research, that all of these dead celebrities somehow know who Steve Huff is when they die to be able to reach out and communicate with him. And the, the fascinating part about this isn't just that he talks to celebrities. Listen, if you're Robin Williams, if you're David Bowie, if you're any of these you know super mega famous celebrities who have passed away, you have to understand that people are going to try and make a buck off your name even when you die. And that kind of comes with the territory. But I don't think paranormal researchers are signing up for that. And when paranormal researchers die, I'm just going to guess that the last person that they would want to reach out to is a guy who has zero credibility amongst other paranormal researchers. Especially when, for the most part, most of them have never even met the guy. And probably have people that they know and love and trust and have worked with that they'd want to communicate with first. And he's pushed it beyond the limits a few times. He's gone beyond all, I don't even want to say class, but he's gone beyond all of that in the past. But this most recent one, I think, is the most egregious in a lot of people's eyes, which is a shame because there was one other case that was far more egregious. And it's something that we in the paranormal world, amongst ourselves, decided not to really talk about. But I think we're going to have to talk about it tonight because if you are a Steve Huff fan, if you're one of these people who found this video because you search YouTube looking for his videos and you want to know why we would put this out there, you need to know the whole story. So we're going to get into a lot of that tonight. Uh, but before that, we will be talking with some special guests. Uh, Tina Storer and Bob McGill from the show Ghostbait will be joining us for a bit to talk about that program. And uh, we'll find out more about how they went about filming this new season of Ghostbait. Because some of you might remember it was a show before. And it went away for a few years, but then it came back. So we'll get the whole scoop on that and how Tina got involved. And I think a lot of you who listen to Spooky South Coast, you know that Tina got her start on Spooky South Coast. It was her first ever interview was being on this show. Oh, what was that? Like 2007, 2008, when Paranormal Expeditions first, you know, first kind of hit the paranormal world, we had the girls in here and they said then like that was their first ever interview. And now look at her, you know, she's come a long way. She's worked very hard to get where she is. And of course, Bob McGill has uh, been working away for years in the paranormal and and refining this ghost bait concept. So we'll talk to them coming up in just a few minutes. But then after that, it's going to be, it's open season on Steve Huff. 
anybody out there that has an issue with the way that he does things, or maybe maybe you're a fan, maybe you're a supporter, maybe you've worked with the guy and you want to call in and defend him, that's welcome as well. At 508-996-0500. But I think most people who listen to this show, you know we don't really bash people. We let everybody have their say, and we let the audience decide for themselves. We've never used this program in 13 years of doing the show as a soapbox to really go after anybody. Maybe there's been some incidents here and there where we've called people out for things, but for the most part, we don't use this show to attack other people because that's not what you should do. If you have an audience, if you have a voice, you should use that voice for what the audience wants. For the most part, the audience doesn't want us to attack people because what's what's the what's the goal in that? What's the end result? It might make for an entertaining couple hours of uh, of, of audio to listen to, but it doesn't really further the paranormal world at all. But I think tonight we have to kind of lay it on the line because we need to eradicate this parasite. And I know what most people say. Just ignore them because, you know, that's that's not real research and the people who are doing real research know that. But the problem is there's people that don't know that. And so we need this just to exist. We need this just to be out there so that people can find it and listen to it or watch it and say to themselves, oh, I didn't realize that or I didn't take that into account. Because sometimes you can't just ignore the bad seeds. Because sometimes when you ignore the bad seeds, you end up overgrown with weeds. Bless you, Kylie. I saw that. So we will unpack all of that coming up uh, in just a bit. But as I said, first, we're going to talk to Bob and Tina. And uh, I think we have somebody on the line. Let's, let's see who that is. It might be somebody that wants to talk Huff, in which case we might have to punt that to a little bit later in the show. But... Uh, Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Hello. 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 Can you hear me now? Hello. I don't. I don't know what the issue is here. Although everything's lit up the way it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be lit. For can you hear me now? All right. Let's try this one. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. What's shaking, Timmy? Hey, Lamone. Hey, I'm going to have to have you call back a little bit later on, okay? Maybe he can't hear me either. The phone lines are lighting up, though. Everybody's trying to help us out, trying to help us figure it out. Oh, why am I in program? That shouldn't be. People just heard me over the Red Sox for the first 20 minutes. I thought I took it out of program. Hello, Spooky South Coast. Can you hear me? Hello. Hi. Can you hear me now? Hello. I don't know if we're just being trolled at this point. I know. I'm pushing all the buttons. Hello. You're on Spooky South Coast. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Spooky. This is very entertaining radio, but I can't figure out what the problem is. Has this been rearranged since the last time that we were on? Because that would be terrible if we can't take phone calls on a night where we're supposed to be taking phone calls. 
Hmm. Oh. Let's see. They're hearing it. That'll loop them back to us. So I don't know what would be keeping them from hearing us. What's that? All right, you're next on Spooky South Coast. Are you there? Hello. Hi. Hello. Can you hear me? This is good. This is good radio. Hello. This poor guy. I feel very bad for him. Hello, Spooky South Coast. Can you hear me? Hey, what's up, Timmy? Can you hear me, Lamone? I can't hear you. There, player. So you can hear me. Are you hearing me over the computer or over the phone? Let me tell you. I can't hear you, though. You're cutting out. All right. Let's see here. Well, that's not going to work. Shut up, Bob Branco. He's complaining that he can hear me over the Red Sox. Shut up. The, uh, I'm, fur- I'm frustrated here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the Week and Weird. You want to do that? Can we do that? Uh, is that uh, is that an issue? If it's an issue, we don't have to do it. Because I'm just going to cut all this stuff out of the show anyway. Right. All right. We'll see if I, if I can do that, though. That's also asking a lot of me. All right, here we go with Matt Blystein and the Week and Weird. In a world where the paranormal is just a breath away, we're spanning the globe to bring you the best in paranormal news. This is The Week in Weird. Hello, and welcome back to The Week in Weird. As most of you already know, the paranormal community lost a legend recently with the passing of famed demonologist and paranormal researcher Lorraine Warren. But in an eerie coincidence, just hours before her death, an object tied to Lorraine's legacy was on its way to a new home. A rocking chair that's connected to a famous exorcism case in the early 80s of an 11-year-old boy named David Glatzel was purchased by Ghost Adventure star Zach Bagans for his Museum of Haunted Objects in Las Vegas. Both Lorraine and her husband Ed were called in to help with David's exorcism. The chair, often referred to as the Devil's Rocking Chair, was in David's home at the time. It was known to move on its own, levitate, and sometimes disappear, and then reappear again. Both Lorraine and David claimed to see the devil himself sitting in the chair. Zach is said to have purchased the chair for a whopping $67,000, and one can assume that it will be on display shortly. For those in the Las Vegas area, or planning to be there soon, you can check the chair out at Zach's Haunted Museum. But whatever you do, don't sit on it. Because according to legend, all who sit in the chair will be cursed, And sadly, now neither Ed nor Lorraine will be able to help you out if the legend proves true. And now, it's time for Cryptid Corner. Cryptid Corner. Cryptid Corner. Cryptid Corner. This week, Cryptid Corner takes us to the Himalayan mountains along the border of China and Nepal. On April 29th, the mountaineering expedition team for the Indian Army used Twitter to show off pictures of footprints that they claim belong to the elusive Yeti. 
These photos were taken near Makalu Base Camp, 12 miles south of Mount Everest. The photos show deep footprints in the snow, which the tweet indicates measured 32 inches by 15 inches. Naturally, the photos were met with skepticism and mocking on Twitter. But belief in the Yeti has deep roots in the Himalayan region. The Yeti is a common figure in Nepalese folklore. It was once worshipped as the god of the hunt. In 1951, English explorer Eric Shipton also photographed a large footprint in the snow that he strongly believed belonged to a Yeti. A spokesman for the Indian Army says they plan to send the photos and video that they shot in the area to domain experts for further analysis. The team will be back in the area next month, so perhaps they'll come across more evidence to support their claims. Although we can only assume that the Yeti will be doing what it does best, hiding from prying eyes and staying off of Twitter. Our last story may make you feel a little dirty. A new study by the Herzlanding Clinic in Switzerland suggests that men with facial hair have more germs in their beards than dogs have in their fur. Seeking to find out if humans and dogs could use the same MRI scanner without hygiene issues, researchers tested 30 dogs and 18 men and compared the amounts of microbial bacteria in their beards and fur. They found that the dogs tested had significantly lower bacteria counts in their fur than the men had in their beards, and on the basis of their findings concluded that dogs can be considered clean compared to bearded men. Further, seven of the men tested had so much bacteria in their beards that they were actually at risk of getting themselves sick. Ultimately, the study determined that dogs pose no risk to humans if they use the same MRI machine. But the converse may not be true. And that's it for this week's installment of The Week in Weird. I'm your host, Matt Bleistein, and I'll see you next week. All right, so that was the Week in Weird. Sorry, I talked over the end, end part. That was the Week in Weird with Matt Bleistein. And, and don't worry, for those of you who didn't see the video, it'll it'll be in there in the final product. Um, when you go to the Spooky South Coast YouTube channel as well, you'll also find those Week in Weird videos on their own. So you can always take those and share them around and spread the word of weirdness for the week. Matt Bleistein does a fantastic job with those. And uh, we'd like to see you share those around just kind of on their own, as much as we love it when you share the show itself. But sometimes people don't want to listen to a whole two-hour paranormal show, but they would love to see the great work that he does with The Week and Weird. All right, I think we have the phone issue figured out. I hope so. So we're going to try and bring on Bob and Tina. We'll use Tina as the scapegoat first, and we'll bring her on first. And uh, Tina, can you hear me now? Hello. Yeah. Oh, hey, it's working. All right, let's awesome. not let's not curse it. Let's bring in Bob and see if uh going to lock you in, see if we can bring in Bob. And Bob McGill is with us as well, Bob? I am, Tim. All right, there we go. I think we're in business. See, that's what Excellent. you take two weeks off. Nothing is the way that it's supposed to be. And then the silent assassin, Matt Costa, figures it out in 30 seconds. So there you go. Every, <laughs> Everybody needs a silent assassin. So I want to say, first of all, that uh, I'm very excited that the two of you are working together. Uh, I've known Tina for a long time, and Bob, I had a chance to meet you a, a few years ago, and it seems like you guys have a, have a great chemistry together. Uh, Bob, what was it like to uh, bring Tina on board with, with this project? Sure. I, I appreciate that. And it is good to talk with you again, Tim. It has been a while, but uh, thank you for having us on. Um, you know, when we were looking for someone uh, to bring on with the reboot. 
Uh, we needed just the right person, somebody that kind of complimented, you know, the show and complimented the goals of the show. And uh, Tina's name came up in a couple different places. And uh, when I reached out to her and I had one conversation with her, it seemed like uh, it was the perfect match. And Tina, for yourself, uh, what, what was it like to, uh, you know, to join up with the, the ghost bait concept that, uh, that Bob's been working with for, for a while now? Of course, yeah. I mean, working with any new people in the paranormal, you know, it's always different. And it was, it just worked straight off the bat. Like, we just clicked really well. And, you know, going into this different, very different concept, it was kind of like, okay, I got to be really sure of myself. I'm going to be, you know, really, truly guiding people through this very intense process. And um, it was incredible. I'm really proud to be a part of it, for sure. Now, now, Bob, for people who might not be familiar, describe to them the concept of ghost bait because it's it's a little bit different than your your run of the mill paranormal investigation show. You you guys take things to a different extreme. <laughs> we do, we do, and you know, a lot of folks that see it for the first time, uh, I think there's a little bit of shock value to it, um, and I think that's because, to your point, it is a little different than your typical uh, ghost show. Uh, and most ghost shows sort of the third act of the show is the ghost hunters like Tina and myself, you know, ramping up for a big investigation and sort of, you know, possibly confronting or at least attempting to communicate with whatever's there. On Ghost Bait, um, that same act is actually focused with uh, our clients. They step up uh, and we actually put them in a position to face whatever it is, uh, whether it's in their home or their place of employment. Uh, we, we give them that power. We let them do that, but with our guidance and our expertise, and we support them through the process. But uh, it does get pretty intense because, unlike Tina and I, they don't want to be there. So uh, that's the concept of ghost bait. But in the end, um, so far, every case we've worked with was a positive ending. And I, I think yeah. that... I think that too, like having somebody like Tina involved as well, she has always been somebody who's been very um, sympathetic to some of the things that come up in the paranormal. And I know, I know Tina, you know, knowing your background, I know that that came about because you were actually somebody that, you know, had to overcome some of those, those feelings too, when you first got involved in paranormal research. Yes, very much so. I was so afraid uh, of my own shadow for a long time, really. <laughs> And, like, you, you've met me, you've known me for so long. Like, I used to be very timid even when I first started out in the paranormal. And, you know, but just by doing this for so long, um, you kind of, like, gained that strength. But I, I, I didn't overcome it really until I really went on my first investigation and I chose to kind of isolate myself. I'm like, okay, I did it. And I, the thing is, I still get scared, though. And I think people who watch the show, they can, they see that. I still get kind of jumpy and whatnot because it's, it's my natural reaction sometimes. Even though I'm very used to it, certain certain cases can definitely like spike my nerves for sure. Well, I think part of that though is, and, and Bob, you probably have realized this uh, quite a while ago with this concept, is that. You know, we say that the emotions that we give off on an investigation, the energy that we give off can help fuel paranormal activity. And there's probably no more raw energy than the energy that, that comes from fear or comes from apprehension or anxiety. So, you know, you're actually giving something out there to these spirits to help manifest that could be helping them power up. Yeah, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Tim. It, it's exactly where the premise comes from. Um, it's a combination of, you know, some theories in the, the paranormal world, 
uh, like you just mentioned, that fear seems to uh, enhance or, to use your words, fuel uh, the potential interaction with whatever's there. And the other side of it is uh, immersion therapy, which is basically to face your fear, you face it head on. Uh, And that usually does involve fear. So it really does ramp things up, as you said. And so we had had mentioned before that the show had been on uh, in a previous incarnation. And, Bob, you would call this a reboot. How did it come about that this show would return? Because wasn't it previously on A&E? Yes. um, Depending upon how you do the math, this is technically the third iteration of the show. Um, It originally started uh, when I started it as a web series. Uh, We did six episodes on the web. And uh, it was back in 2011. We had, you know, 44-minute episodes on YouTube before binge-watching was a thing. So it was a little bit risky, but uh, it was successful enough that, as you mentioned, A&E was interested in it. And uh, I ended up selling the show to them. And we did uh, a few episodes with those guys and then moved on to other projects. And uh, about a year ago, uh, someone that worked on the original I was in development at another company and reached out and asked if I would ever consider doing it again. Uh, If I'm being honest, uh, over the last seven years, uh, I was asked by a number of different networks to reboot the show, but the circumstances were never right. Um, They kind of wanted to turn it back into a a regular paranormal ghost hunting show, if you will. Uh, When Travel Channel got involved, they were interested in sticking to the original concept. Um, What was really important to me was authenticity. Uh, They literally said, and I quote, you know, we'd rather have nothing happen than, uh, you know, exaggerate what's happening or, you know, fake anything. Uh, They literally wanted us to just go with it because they understood it was about the people uh, primarily uh, and secondarily it was about the ghosts. And it's something, too, that uh, when you're dealing with a network like Travel Channel where they're producing there's they're putting out a ton of paranormal content right now i mean really there's so many shows that are either airing or that are in development you know so you're probably looking at this with a a little bit of skepticism to say are you just looking for anything here or do you really care about this idea and this concept and about the vision that i have for the show and it it seems like you felt like they definitely had um your interest at heart with with what they were doing yeah they did they did well said um you know i've I, I work in TV and film production and have for a long time, and that isn't always the case. Um, you know, it, there's a reason people say working in Hollywood is like working in a shark tank, and typically they don't have your best intentions. But I can honestly and sincerely say that from day one, Travel wanted to make sure this was done the right way. Uh, they wanted to make sure that we took the, the client's well-being and their end result was their number one priority, which is what Tina and I's number one priority is. So everybody saw this the same way, and that's the only reason it was able to work out. And, and Tina, for yourself, you know, coming into this, I know that you had seen the previous ghost bait. Uh, did you have any kind of preconceived notions about, about how this show would work? Um, I was really open to pretty much anything, in, you know, like being able to talk to Bob and really talked to everyone at Travel Channel and, you know, Indigo, they, the way they presented it, I, I just felt very aligned, you know, it was just, it felt right. You know, I've, you know, I've been on a couple other shows and have been approached from other um, projects and just nothing ever felt like it clicked with 
myself and what I like to do. And this is just kind of perfect. You know, I felt like I could really bring that empathy and like my feminine side and balance like with Bob's masculinity. It's just like, it's, I think it was just kind of perfect. And I always tell people like, Oh, it's cosmic. <laughs> really. Right. But I, I, we trusted travel like from the start, like we had producers with us and just sat us down and really just told, told us like how authentic they wanted to keep it. And that just, that made me feel really good about like stepping into this project. But, but Tina, it seems like you need to have both those ends of the, of the dichotomy to be there for the people that are going through this. So it, you need to have Definitely. the strength of Bob and the empathy that you bring to it in order to kind of cover all bases. 1,000%. And you need the yin, the yang, masculine, feminine. And we both bring something different to the table. And I think that's why we are able to work with our clients and at the end of the day, make them feel better because we both, both can relate to different parts of their fear, you know. And uh, and how did how were the cases found, Bob, to uh, to investigate for the show? That's a great question. We get that one a lot. Um, we are fortunate enough to have uh, a research team on the front end of things uh, that do extensive research to find our cases. Because as you can imagine, you know, on one extreme, there's people that are just interested in you know, oh, I get to be on a TV show, and I'll just tell them what I want to hear. And on the opposite extreme, there's the people that literally have no other voice anywhere else, and this is sort of, as dramatic as it sounds, their last hope. Um, so we have a team that uh, looks at forums. Uh, they look on, you know, a lot of paranormal sites um, and news feeds, and they look for people that are sincerely reaching out to, to our beloved community and saying, you know, I've never experienced this before. I don't know what I'm dealing with. You know, here's what's going on. Who can help me? That's typically where they find the cases, um, as well as referrals from, you know, other people in the community that, that have tried to help them without success. Uh, and then we go through thorough interviews, Skype interviews, um, in-person interviews, long before uh, we ever decide to take the case. And the... You know, the, the the good part about being on a television show is that it can help you uh, find, you know, these cases that, you know, people are, are willing to put themselves on the line if, if, if they know they're going to be on TV. But then part of the problem is, you know, being able to weed out who just wants to be on TV. And so you don't want to show up at a case and, and make sure that uh, show up at a case and find out that somebody's just, you know, making up a story. So it's good to have exactly. that advanced research that can help you with it. Um, Absolutely. I know that there's been uh, some pretty trying cases that you have uh, worked with so far. I mean, do you feel like you've been able to leave every case with uh, having helped the people that were involved? Uh, I can say that with uh, 100% confidence, yes. Uh, you know, it, it's crazy, as you you know have probably seen, uh, if you've watched the episodes, it's only 22 minutes uh, when you really think about it with commercials. Uh, and a lot of times you sit there and Tina and I have been there and lived it. You know, we may be there three or four days until three, four or five in the morning, tirelessly working with these people. Um, it's a shame sometimes it's not longer episodes because you would see how thorough we really are. And in the end, um, every one of these people that we've had the fortune to work with has come out of it and literally, I mean, I've had my back pop that I've been hugged so hard uh, because people are so grateful 
that they feel like their home is their own home again and their family can be safe. Um, you know, I think that's a privilege, not something that we just run out and do because we want to hunt ghosts. It's truly helping people. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've been fortunate enough to do that every time so far. And that must be that must feel good for you, Tina, too, because I know that you've dealt with a lot of um, investigations in the past where, you know, you've you've dealt with more helping the the spiritual side of things uh, with paranormal expeditions. Right. You guys were focusing on on making sure that the spirits came away with this feeling they had a sense of closure. But it must be very rewarding to work with the living and and to come out of this seeing the way that you've been able to to help them change their lives. You, you said it perfectly, yeah, I, and especially because I can empathize with these people that, yes, I was afraid too, and it's okay, we're here for you, we are validating what you're going through, which sometimes that's just even huge for people, just to have outsiders come in and be like, yes, we believe you, and we actually experienced it ourselves, that can be such a huge step in that healing process, but like Bob said, we've walked away with with feeling feeling really good from each and every case, and really nice to like stay in contact with some of the people and just see that they're doing well and that they trusted us and it was such an honor and we don't take that lightly of having these people truly truly trust us to to guide them and and bob the question keeps coming up in the chat room so i have to ask what led into the decision for the burlap sack (laughs) sure sure (laughs) i didn't see that one coming um you know, honestly, it's a number of different things. The actual use of, of any sort of a sack, a blindfold, whatever it may be, um, we actually started with a different hood when we did the web series. The idea is, you know, you touched on the fact that fear seems to change the energy in the room. Um, there's a spirit or, or an entity or, or paranormal activity. Uh, when you think about it, if you take away your sense of sight, and I put you in a dark place, um, without that hood or without your sight being taken away, you're going to be looking for something that's to scare you. You're going to be looking around the dark room, and your mind's going to play tricks on you, and you're going to think you see something. Um, It's amazing. And if you do any ghost hunting yourself, blindfold yourself sometime and just sit in a room and listen uh, and feel what's in the room, you'd be amazed at how your other senses heighten when you're not able to look around and let your mind play tricks on you. Uh, so the reason we do that is uh, to heighten other senses, but also to intensify fear. Because, you know, if just being in the dark basement turns fear up to a seven, uh, when you can't see, when you feel like you hear something behind you, uh, that's going to go from a seven to a ten. And uh, that's the path to getting the people to, to be able to become empowered and face those fears. Uh, the burlap actually comes into play uh, for a couple different reasons, one of which, uh, depending upon how the hood is used, you can see a little bit, but not enough to actually see completely clear, which is also more scary than just you know being able to see or being able not to see at all. Uh, the actual material that's used uh, and where it came from is another story that I'm not quite at liberty to get into yet, but I'm hoping... Uh, to be allowed to, to reveal that soon. Oh, that sounds uh, that sounds very interesting. Please keep us uh, up to date with that. So it, it looks like this Thursday, uh, starting in the morning, there's going to be a, a ghost bait marathon that'll be happening, uh, so people can catch up on on all of the first uh, on all of this season if they've missed that. And then uh, is it is it the season finale that's coming up on Thursday night at ten o'clock? Yes. Yeah. It, it, uh, they do 
back-to-back episodes from 10 to 10.30, 10.30 to 11, will both be new episodes, uh, and that will be uh, season one finale episodes. So definitely everybody tune in and make sure uh, that you check that out. Let's uh, let's deliver some big numbers. And, uh, of course, Travel Channel uh, being the, the new home of all this great paranormal content, uh, keep providing different things for us. Let's hope that we can get some more ghost bait out of them. Thank you guys for joining us and for uh, informing us about everything with the show, and, and we look forward to talking with you more in the future. Thank you so much, Tim. All right, take care. Thank you very much, and those are all great questions. We appreciate your support and oh. your insight. And- uh, always your willingness to chat with us. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll do it again soon. We like spooky south <laughs> <laughs> right, Bye-bye. That is uh, Bob McGill and Tina Storer from Ghost Bait. We thank them for joining us tonight and for uh, sharing with us some of the behind-the-scenes stories of that show. And I, I'm definitely interested in finding out what is up with that burlap sack. Because So listen, l- let me tell you something. And in, in full disclosure, when the original Ghost Bait aired on the show... Uh, aired on uh, on A and E back uh, years ago. I came on the show and I was I think I was kind of you know ripping on a little bit, and that I I I didn't really un- first of all I didn't understand then I didn't have a good enough understanding of the power of fear in paranormal investigation because I was still under the mindset of at that time that you really can't be afraid on an investigation. You know you've heard Jason Hawes say it on episodes of Ghost Hunters. We can't show fear because we're being called in to help somebody else. So we can't, we're trying to tell them that it's okay. We can't be afraid of it if we're going to try and walk away telling them that it's okay. So I I kind of understood that mindset. So I didn't, I didn't know that the fear would be a palpable thing that could actually be beneficial to an investigation. And it led me to start looking into uh, the power of fear. And it led me to look into kind of the energetic resonance of fear. And I put together a presentation for um, the Ocean State Paracon, which I'll be going back to again this July. But uh, it was a few years ago I, I presented at the Ocean State Paracon. I called it It's Okay to Be Scared. And it was a presentation about how fear actually can have a place in paranormal research. And it was going through all of that and making those realizations. As I'm doing that, it brings me back to Ghostbait. Ghostbait makes me think, oh, well... Bob was definitely onto something there. But it's, it's kind of funny because after I had kind of ripped on the show a little bit here on Spooky South Coast, uh, our friend John Tobin had me come out for the Power History Con, and he remembered me talking about ghost bait on Spooky South Coast, and he introduced me to Bob McGill at the convention by saying, oh, hey, Bob, I want you to meet Tim Weisberg. He hosts Spooky South Coast. He thinks ghost bait sucks. And <laughs> that was my introduction to Bob in person. Uh, but we, we talked for a good amount of time, and we talked about some of the, the concepts behind the, the show, and that kind of helped me realize you know, what, what it was that they were trying to do. So, yes, when you look at it on the surface, it seems gimmicky, but when you watch it and you realize what it is that they're doing, then you kind of catch on and you realize, okay, that's something that is a different concept in paranormal research. And I, and I love what they're talking about because – Anybody that's come to one of my investigations, one of my events, you know that we do the same thing, more or less. I don't really blindfold people and leave them in a room alone, but I will take people into the basement of a place and have them turn off all their devices and all their lights and even their cell phones and everything so we're sitting there in complete and total darkness and we're tuning ourselves in to the location. 
we're sitting there so we can hear every floorboard squeak every time the the heat comes on or the air conditioning comes on what it sounds like we're going through all of this so that we can basically connect with the location and it 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 brings out more activity i think i think what happens is when you do it when you sit there and you tune yourself into it you're going to pick up more easily when there's something anomalous that's happening or at least something worth paying attention to that may be anomalous so it's very key whenever you're if you're just a regular paranormal investigator and i know that you've got thousands of dollars worth of equipment out in the van you can't wait to bring it inside you can't wait to start doing the research and seeing if you can prove that there's something actually going on or disprove depending on how your outlook is but i know that there's that that tendency and that desire and that need to turn on all the devices as soon as you get there or as soon as you start the investigation but there's there's value in just sitting there and chilling out and tuning in and that's when i think we have most of, in fact i know when we were in winchenden a couple of weeks ago that's when we had the most activity is when we were just hanging out quiet Nobody really talking, nobody really investigating, just tuning into the location. Because in the end, that's what this all is, really. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. I, I think that there has to be some sort of human interaction or human observation for paranormal activity to take place. You know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, it does. Because of physics. And probably paranormal activity would do the same. But I don't think it's necessarily something physical. So that's why I think somebody really needs to be there to be the human agent to observe. And then the question is, well, how do you explain all this footage that's caught on surveillance cameras? Well, the surveillance cameras is the act of somebody observing. But that's a concept we can get into a debate and discussion about some other time. Because tonight, we're going to get into the topic of Steve Huff. But I'm going to take a, a fast, like a one-minute break, so that we can, uh, we can run a little spot here. And then when we come back, we will talk Steve Huff. I will explain what happened on this most recent outing of Huff, this most recent uh, video that he posted. And... I know that I could probably run the audio on the show, but I'm not going to because part of it is he's taking what could be licensed footage, licensed audio, and running it through his devices to make it sound like he's communicating with these people. At least that seems to be what the claims are against him. Again. I don't have proof of it, but there are videos that are being made that look to prove that. And I welcome anybody that's listening to go to the Spooky South Coast page on Facebook. And if you have those videos, feel free to post them there so that we can direct everybody there and they can go and watch them for themselves. But I don't want to run any risk of this show getting flagged or taken down because I want it to exist. I want it to be there. 
so that the people who are buying into his garbage can watch this for themselves. So we'll take a a quick 30-second break. We'll be back with more Spooky South Coast in just a moment. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. All right, but welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. And the phone numbers to call in throughout the discussion, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Those are linked up at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you can't find them there, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on in the chat room about my shirt. Shouldn't, do, I, do I need to give some explanation about my shirt? So for those of you who are unaware, I am a, a larger man in terms of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a skinny dude by any means, but I'm also not a tall guy. So I'm ha- I have to buy bigger shirts that might be for somebody who uh, is, you know, six foot four and weighs what I weigh. But I am not six foot four. I am a very small man. Not very small, but I'm not six feet tall. And also I have been, uh, I guess you could say cursed with shorter than usual arms. Matt used to work with me when I was a cook and, uh, it was kind of funny because when I would hold the spatula in my short arms, I looked like a T-Rex. So I would be T-Rex cook. That was a real thing. But <laughs> diner days. But yeah, I have shorter than usual arms and I'm wearing like a big and tall size shirt. So yeah, the sleeves bunch up a little bit. And I don't usually wear long sleeves. So look, if I pull it all out, I would look like that. So there's going to be some bunching up of my sleeves. Okay, now that we've ex- explained my wardrobe, this is what happens when I wear something other than a spooky South Coast t-shirt to do the show. And, and you know, it looks like I'm trying to be fancy tonight. It looks like I'm trying to dress up a little for the program. This is just the last shirt that I had that was clean. And I know that the listeners don't care about that, but I figured, you know, Matt's in the studio, so I'd, I'd be respectful and wear something that doesn't stink. It's, it's funny because uh, there's a regular viewer to my YouTube, uh, my Facebook Live videos that I do from the newsroom who likes to point out that I'm always wearing a maroon shirt. If only he was watching Spooky South Coast tonight when I'm wearing green for the rare, for the rare occasion. All right. Enough talk about my wardrobe. But speaking of wardrobes, by the way, we still have uh, the offer on the table. If any paranormal groups or anybody wants to send in shirts, we'll wear them on the show. Well, I'll wear them because I'm the only one that's usually on camera all the time. But uh, if you have a group or something that you want to promote and you want to send a shirt, you can get the radio station address right from WBSM.com. Send it here to my attention, and uh, and I'll be sure to wear it. Just make sure it's like at least a 2X because, like I said, I'm not a small man. All right, let's get into the discussion now about Steve Huff. And if you haven't seen... The latest video that's going around. So here's what happened. And while we've been off from the show, 
the paranormal world lost a, a pretty big name. Lorraine Warren passed away a few weeks ago. And for those who only know of the Warrens through the Conjuring movie series, you may not understand or you may not be aware that they have been involved in some of the most high-profile cases beyond just what they've made movies about. So one of the big things that they were involved in is they had a, a role in the later years of the Amityville Horror. Now, they alluded to that in one of the films, but they really can't go into in-depth about that because another studio owns the rights to the Amityville story. I'm sure eventually those rights will come up again and there'll be a bidding war for it and Blumhouse will probably buy the rights to that story so that they can make a Warren's Amityville movie. But they've been involved in some pretty high profile cases and the reason why is because the Warrens sought out attention. They sought out media attention. And part of that was because they could get more cases if they were in the public eye. If you're doing this work and you're trying to help people and you're trying to also get to the bottom of what's going on, you need cases. But also, you know, they felt like they were doing something that they were called to do. And in order to reach the maximum amount of people that you can reach to do that, you need to be in the public eye for it. And yes, they did profit off it as well because this is how they were trying to make their living. So they were writing books and making television appearances. But the reason why I mention all that is because there will be some critics of the Warrens. There are critics of the Warrens who will say somebody exploiting Lorraine's death, it might just be, you know, just desserts for the Warrens because of all the exploitation that they did of the paranormal over the years. But I don't think there was exploitation. I think that there was a combination of needing to get the word out there and get those cases. And also, you know, there's, there's a draw in that. There's something about, you know, doing this and, and being recognized for it. So I don't really fault the Warrens. I used to. I used to think that they were just, you know, trying to make a buck off this. And in some cases, they've been inserted into stories that they weren't really necessarily a big part of. For example, the story in The Conjuring 2, that is a story, the Enfield Poltergeist, where they weren't really super involved in that case. They kind of came in briefly as part of the story. They weren't the, the heroes that they were made out to be in The Conjuring 2, but, you know, there's also a such thing as creative license with Hollywood. So they're going through some of that, I think, with with what's been going on. There's going to be some of that backlash. But in the end, the bottom line is a majority of the paranormal field, most of the paranormal field, recognizes the contributions that they made and the importance that they made, even at the very least, of getting media attention for the cases that we do. Because the dirty secret is we need that media attention. As much as we like to say that we're not in this for that, it's a huge benefit. It helps spread the word that you're out there. It helps spread the word of what you're doing, and it helps normalize what you're doing to other people. So there's a big difference between just being the ghost hunting group that puts their, 
their business card up on the bulletin board, the community bulletin board outside Stop and Shop. And being somebody who gets letters and emails and phone calls and Facebook messages and all kinds of other things because they saw you on the network news covering a case. So I'm just throwing that out there. There might be some of that sentiment of, you know, the Warrens exploited things, so they deserve to get exploited, but I'm, I'm not going to go down that route. And certainly some of the other celebrities who have had their names brought into this. You know, again, as I mentioned, when you were a celebrity, you know, you kind of, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. That's the kind of stuff that's going to happen. But I don't think that anybody signs up for this so that when they die, there's going to be some guy communicating with their spirit in order to sell, you know, $5,000 wonder boxes. So let's get into it. A few years ago, this guy, Steve Huff, pops up on the scene claiming to be, I, I guess, the world's best spirit communicator. And he portrays it as, you know, something that he just happened upon with his interest in ITC research. He just happened to hit this magic formula to create this box that goes beyond anything that anybody's ever done before. And he feels justified saying that, by the way. There's um, humility is not something that uh, would be associated with his rise to where he is now. But if you have been watching, as I have, from the sidelines and seeing what's been going on, there's been a cult of Huff that has built up. And he's worked with people in the past, and he's worked with some people that I know and trust and that I would work with, and burned them. He's laid in his wake uh, uh, quite a bit of people in ITC research that have entered into partnerships with him, uh, only to have him kind of take what it is that they've done. There's been other people who have kind of worked with him to help spread their word and, and what it is that they do, and he doesn't follow through on that. So if you reach out to a lot of these folks, and we're hoping that some of them will call in tonight, there's been a lot of people that have been burned by this guy. And there's been other groups that have worked with him because they get stars in their eyes. Because they see the, the, the YouTube follows that he has, the YouTube subscribers that he has, and the views that his video gets. And they say to themselves, we need a piece of that. And maybe there's some people who actually believe in the power of his, excuse me, his research because when you watch it, when you see his videos, they are pretty amazing. Until you see some of these other videos that kind of explain away how they have been done. So, I'm just going to throw this out there. And again, I have no proof of anything. No proof that he has been manipulating these videos and trying to, um, you know, create these under false pretenses. For all I know, it could all be on the up and up. I don't think so. But I'm going to leave that caveat there in case I'm proven wrong. But let me ask you this. A celebrity dies. What's, what do you think happens when a celebrity dies? Any celebrity. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the most obscure 
B-movie actor or the biggest star in the world. When they die, somebody is going to YouTube and looking them up. Now, for the most part, people just focus on the bigger stars. But somebody is going and looking them up. And so the, the search terms for that person on YouTube will get a bump in the 24 to 48 hours after their death. The other part of it, too, is not only are individuals searching for them. You know, when Prince dies, everybody wants to go onto YouTube and watch Prince videos and remember the music. That's to be expected, and there's nothing wrong with that. Also going to YouTube and looking for Prince clips is the media. Because every news, television news station is going to look for clips that they can use. Every radio station is going to be looking for audio that they can use. So the media is also searching for that term. So there's a lot of people, both in general eyeballs and in media attention, that's going to be looking for that celebrity's name immediately following their death. Now, I, I, I don't want to get into some of the issues that psychics and mediums have told us about when somebody dies, that there's a transitional period, that in the first 24 to 48 hours you can't contact somebody. Some will say some will be more likely to contact you during that time. There's all differing schools of thought on that, at least in what I've encountered. Some people say you have to wait an entire year before you can communicate with the spirit of somebody who's just passed. So let's put all of that aside and just say that if somebody dies in the first 24 to 48 hours of their death, there's something going on. There's, there's got to be some sort of a process there. And there's got to be a desire on the part of the person who just passed. I think we're off the air here. Um, I don't know if the Red Sox are over. I'm going to let that just play for a dead air for a minute, and then there it goes. Okay, so do you think we need to switch over? All right. So there's there seems to be a a need, I would think, of somebody who just passed to want to be around their loved ones who are going through the loss, and they want to be there to kind of comfort them. If you're going to be around anybody, you're going to be around your family. We can get into the whole thing, too, about, well, you know, can you be in multiple places at once when you have entered that, you know, reality, uh, when you enter that plane of existence? Um, you know, does time stop? Does time slow down? Can you can you go back and forth? Can you do, you know, all of that stuff, whatever. I just don't think that you're looking out for the nearest paranormal researcher who can communicate with you as soon as you pass away. So there's that. But there are regular people, fans, who are grieving the loss of that person, the loss of that celebrity, who are going to YouTube and looking for videos about that person. So you're a fan of Robin Williams. And I'm going to use Robin Williams as, as the example because it was one of the first big celebrity death Huff videos that, from what I understand, actually drew the ire of Robin Williams' daughter Zelda 
who got very upset about these videos being out there. But anyway, Robin Williams dies. He, from if I remember correctly, he committed suicide because he was suffering from uh, a debilitating mental disease. So Robin Williams dies, kills himself. It's a shock to Robin Williams fans. It's a shock to everybody because he's the last guy that we would have expected that from. And so people who are fans of his, or even just people who are casual fans, are in shock over this and are in mourning over this. And they go to YouTube and they want to look at Robin Williams' videos that will uplift them and will make them remember Robin Williams in a positive way and will help them not dwell on the fact that he had this sudden, mysterious, shocking death. Should I put myself on the radio? Okay. So here we have Robin Williams passing away, and we have Robin Williams becoming a huge search term on YouTube from people looking for closure, looking for comfort. And as they search YouTube, what do they find? They find a video that mentions the spirit of Robin Williams coming through in spirit communication. They find a video that mentions talking to the ghost of Robert Williams. And they say, well, that's what I want to know. I want to know why he did what he did. I want to know that he's okay. I want to know that he's still around. I, I'm not ready to let go of Robin Williams. And this video seems like I don't have to. So they watch it. They're blown away by it. Most of those people are probably not paranormal fans. They're probably not people that know anything about the paranormal. So what happens is they're getting this whole new concept right in front of them. And it's, it's got to be wonderful. It's got to be mesmerizing to say, wait a minute, I thought when somebody dies, that's it. Now you're telling me that, that ghosts are real? Now you're telling me that you can communicate with them? Well, this must be fantastic. So let me watch more of this guy's videos. Let me hit subscribe. And follow along. And some of them are falling for this completely. Some of them are, are, are in head over heels with this idea. And watching all the videos and, you know, just basically saying this guy has found the way to communicate with those who have passed on. But now let's break down what it is that he's doing. Again, this is what's been told to me. So I can't prove this myself, but I've been told that basically he's taking audio from existing interviews that he pulls off of YouTube and he's running that through his Wonderbox, which is really nothing but a bunch of guitar pedals that are, are filtering and, and distorting those original clips so that you can still kind of understand that it's their voice, but not really. And by the way, these videos are so slickly produced, and I'm not going to get into what Huff's whole other career was. I'll let other people talk about that, but let's just say he has some filmmaking experience from what I've been told. And so these videos are slickly produced, and what we're getting is this audio that could be overdubbed. So we don't even know for sure 100% that it's coming out of the box. But let's just take it at face value and say it looks like it does. 
And for the most part, there's enough of uh, a room echo, a, a room tone behind it that we can say that it's probably coming from the box. But I will tell you this, all of these videos that I've seen that break this down have pretty convincingly found the clips where the actual words that are being spoken come from. And it just sounds like a distorted version of that actual clip. Now, uh, I, this is, in all fairness, uh, Bart L. is posting in the chat room, and he's right. He's saying, so his guitar pedals are not as real as a broken radio, the strange rules of woo. And no doubt, no doubt that the broken radios are questionable. And I say that having been somebody that used them. And I know that there can be a confirmation bias with that, where you're expecting to hear something and you're going to listen to it until you hear it. Or you're going to take what's being put out over these devices and you're going to uh, create a narrative with that information that will probably not be based in anything. That's not annoying. So the... The whole concept of, of, I guess somebody's waiting for somebody to come out of the restaurant there. All right. This is ridiculous. There's somebody laying on their horn outside the studio. Because they're waiting for somebody to come out of the 99 restaurant. So anyway, yeah, they're both flawed. And that's part of the reason why I don't use those boxes anymore. Because there's too much of that involved in it. And there's even some of that involved in the Echo Vox, which I do use. So you have to be careful of it and be aware of it. But let's get back to the Huff videos and, and, and what he's doing. So the death of Robin Williams kind of kicked a lot of this off. Other celebrities die. He does the same thing. People are tearing them apart. They're finding the actual clips in which he has pulled this stuff out. Uh, and then we get to, uh, I'm going to skip over the Constantinos for right now. I'm going to get to Art Bell. Because when Art Bell died, Art Bell apparently reached out to Steve Huff. Now, Art Bell, in the course of his career, talked to every paranormal investigator that was probably working at that time. You know, when you're doing shows almost every night of the week, almost every night of the year, and you're talking about these kind of topics, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there to get people on. So he's talked to many, many paranormal researchers over the years, including some of those on the very forefront of electronic voice phenomena research, including those who he probably felt a closer connection with than to others. But yet he randomly just decides to communicate with Steve Huff in what is clearly clips of Art Bell from other shows, from the thousands and thousands of hours that he'd done of radio. But he puts that out there. And now this past week, you know, it's, it's funny now because when a celebrity dies, those of us in the paranormal community... We all like to joke about it, but it's not really a joke anymore. We say, well, I wonder how long it's going to be until Huff talks to that person. But it's really not funny. 
And so we knew, we knew that it was going to be only a matter of time when Lorraine Warren passed away that Steve Huff would have a Lorraine Warren video up. And kudos to Rob Hernandez who shared it with me on my Facebook page earlier today. And I'm sure he'll post it up on the Spooky South Coast page as well. But it didn't take long for them to find that all these clips came from the same 2005 Lorraine Warren interview. But I don't think he, I don't think he cares. I don't think Huff cares that people are taking these videos and finding out where they really came from and exposing within the paranormal community that he's a total fraud. Because it's not the paranormal community that he's making these videos for. He's making it for the common, average, everyday YouTube chump who's easily duped. You know, the carnival people have words for the folks that buy into his stuff. They call them rubes. In the wrestling world, we call them marks. People that are going to believe whatever it is that you tell them. It's not their fault. They just don't know any better. If you're showing something so amazing and you're willing to believe, then it's going to be really hard to convince you otherwise. So that's the big part of the issue. And I think it's really ticked some people off that he's done this now with Lorraine Warren because Lorraine Warren is tied into some of the biggest names in paranormal research who would clearly, clearly be a much better option for her to reach out to than Steve Huff. You don't think that John Zaffis, the nephew of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who is an active paranormal investigator to this day, who is out investigating at least every weekend, probably most nights during the week. Oh, and who, by the way, I know has been in regular contact through EchoVox with Ed Warren. Because I've seen it, I've heard it, I've been there when it's happened. You might not have seen it or heard it. You might not have seen the videos. Because he's not putting them all over YouTube to try to generate income for himself. It's just something that he's been sharing with the rest of us in the paranormal community. And something that, by the way, I've known that he's been doing for a couple of years, but wasn't allowed to say anything about because he hadn't gone public with it. That information didn't come public until last summer when the researchers that he works with gave a lecture on it at a convention that I was at and spoke about it for the first time publicly. So instead of reaching out to John Zaffis to let him know this thing that we've all been working on in our family for all of these years is real, is legitimate, she reaches out to a guy who has a dubious at best reputation and wants him to be the guy to carry out her message. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Question from the chat room. Matt wants to know, what if he's the only one asking these folks to come through on his device and they just show up? Nope. Don't, not, I, I doubt that. Highly doubt that. I highly doubt that when Lorraine Warren passed away, there wasn't a thousand paranormal investigators as soon as they heard that she had passed away that reached out for their devices 
reached out for whether it be their their digital recorder, their broken radio, their echo vox, whatever it may be that they use for spirit communication. Hell, even a Ouija board. There would have been somebody that would have reached out, people with closer ties to Lorraine Warren that would have said, you know, we're here, give us a sign. So that is, uh, I understand asking the question, but very little chance that that's the possibility. And then we can go back a step and we can get into the story of the Constantinos. And I'm reluctant to get deep into this because of what happened and because of the circumstances surrounding it and because we as paranormal investigators and paranormal researchers decided not to take one of our own or two of our own in this case and take those tragic circumstances and utilize it for the benefit of you know paranormal media it's not it's not a talking point but it needs to be addressed in the context of what we're talking about because it was the most out of everything that happened the most unethical thing that Steve Huff has done. Even if he had the ability and these videos were legitimate and this communication was legitimate and it was that earth-shattering and game-changing that you have to share all of it with the world and let it out, this was the circumstance where you don't do that. And again, I, I say that I'm not going to get into it so if you want to know the details about what happened, you're going to have to find it elsewhere. But it was a tragedy. It was a shock. There were problems behind the scenes that some people knew about and some people didn't. But I don't think anybody expected it to end the way that it did. And I don't think it was even 24 hours, or at least not even 48 hours, before Steve Huff's posting videos where the Constantinos are reaching out to him. Out of everybody that they worked with, everybody that they were close to, and it was a good majority of the field, they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. And, I mean, we had them on the show. And, and, and Debbie said to us, you know, you have to be going to these conventions. You have to be going out and networking with people. You have to work with everybody that you can. And they did that. They worked with everybody that they could. People that were part of their family, essentially. And, and they bypassed all of those people because they thought the best person to carry their message would be Steve Huff. A guy whose reputation, again, was dubious at best. So at some point, something needs to be done. We're not going to change the minds of all of the regular people, all of the non-paranormal researchers who are watching his videos and are, are seeing this and, and being blown away by it because they don't know any better. We can't change their minds. So we're never going to do anything about the fact that he's got a million subscribers and over and millions of views on his videos. And then he's probably making enough money in YouTube revenue to never have to work a day in his life. And that if some of the suspicions are believed, when these, uh, when these wonder boxes show up on eBay, he isn't going in there and artificially driving up the prices of them, which I've heard. 
because they sell for twelve, fifteen thousand dollars for what are basically echo chambers with guitar pedals, which people are building themselves based on the way that he's built his and saying, look, this is all that it is. So maybe we'll never change the minds of those regular people, but we have at least somewhat of a voice to be able to say, this is garbage and it needs to stop. The dead celebrities, families and representatives, they can go after him. They can stop him from profiting off their name. YouTube could put a stop to him or at least require that he put some sort of a disclaimer in his videos. But it has to be brought to their attention. You know, he may be a big fish in the small pond of things, but in the grand scheme of things, most celebrities' estates don't give a crap about Steve Huff. I think Zelda Williams was the exception, from what I understand. She actually took issue with it. But we can speak out in one voice, and ignoring the problem isn't the way to do it. We need more videos like this one will be on YouTube counteracting his claims. And if you see a video such as what Rob put out today, or what he, what he shared with me today, but what he put out in debunking the Lorraine Warren video, you know, we need to, to like those videos and share those videos and help increase the profile of those videos so at least we can counterbalance some of the garbage. Now, I invited Steve Huff to come on the show as I have in the past, because we have talked about him in the past before. There was the whole thing a couple of years ago where he was being inundated with evil spirits, and so he couldn't keep doing what he was doing. Did I say spirits or did I say spurts? Did I say it like Phil? I think I said it like Phil. Phil says uh, spurts, and he says uh, spiritual. But anyway... He took a step back because evil spirits were taking over his, his, his house and, and influencing his family and putting his family at risk. And so he had to step away from the paranormal. And most of us knew better. Most of us didn't buy it. But what ends up happening is a short time later, he comes back. Why? Because all of his fans wanted him to come back because of the work that he does. And because he's making a difference and he has to fight through it all. And you just have to watch one of his videos to realize that it's a, it's a mockery of what it is that we do with spirit communication. And before Bardell gets into it, I know that it's open for mocking and it's, it's, at its very base, it's hard to believe. But it doesn't help to see, uh, you know, Red, uh, red gelled mood lighting and, and, and candles lit all around and all this other stuff that he does with these videos and, and all the music and all that, the rosary beads draped over the Wonder Box, all that stuff. It's not helping in what is supposed to be a, a, a scientific or at least pseudoscientific endeavor. All right. I think I've had my soapbox moment here. Again, as I mentioned, we don't like to bash people on this show. 
but this is something that I think needs to be addressed. So let's open the phone lines, 508-996-0500. We're going to keep it short. We're going to keep it tight. Um, if people have, you know, points that they want to make, we're going to keep it somewhat in the realm of, you know, making sure we don't go overboard with accusations. I feel like most of what I said here in my rant has been backed up by things that I've seen other people post, other videos that have been made, which is why I'm trying to reference those as much as I can, because I'm not trying to make baseless accusations here. So let's just keep that in mind as we take some of these calls. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. What's shaking, playboy? You waited a long time, Lamone. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Oh, I think it's like I was really angry about that hop guy. And it's like, I remember when he's angry, he jumps on his bike and he leaves in the house. So like, yeah, you know, Huffy, you're like, oh, all right. All right. We're, we're having a little trouble understanding you, Lamone. Your phone's cutting out. Well, I, I'm, I'm online. I can hear myself talking on the phone. I was listening, listening to you all over the phone talking. Okay. You, the whole, you, know, you sound better uh, now. We can, we can, we can make out what you're saying now. All right. So I was saying like that, especially after that movie, uh, 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 some, uh, you know, uh, that one Robin Williams movie, uh, What Dreams May Come. Right. You think he, you, you'd hope you'd have a different uh, thinking and feelings, understanding about that, uh, about suicide. And well, that, you know, that movie is probably where they pulled most of those quotes from because you're talking about life and death in that movie. You know, it's it's very ripe for somebody that wants to pull out quotes if they're gonna if they're gonna make a fraud video. And that was a very good movie too. That's why I thought too. That was very good. I'll tell you where I was when I saw that, but I don't want to tell it you in front of everybody else. But um, I'll tell you uh, one thing about uh, what's the face was there. Um, uh, uh, Ike Turner was there when I saw that movie. That night. I'll tell you about that some other time. But uh, also another thing, you know that when he committed suicide, that next week he was supposed to go in and talk to make like live action um, uh, Latin that they're doing now. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be reprising his role as the as the, as the Jew. And that's that's so sad, you know. Right, because that really was a role that he owned. Exactly. And have you seen the trailers for the new one? I have, and and I love Will Smith, but uh, it's it's a tall task. Yeah, well, you know. He, he looks like no he's, pun intended. Down, he's down for it, I guess. You know, but I, like I said, that some things just shouldn't be touched with. Like I like, I wonder who's going to be the first one to pick up Hugh Jackson as Wolverine. That's what I'm talking about. Like, oh, I'll be like OJ. I'm not saying OJ should be it. Well, maybe right. I don't know. Well, but I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to get too far off the topic of, uh, of Steve Hufflemon. Have you seen some of his videos? Yes, I have. And what are your I, thoughts? I, I haven't seen. Uh, I, uh, I haven't seen Lorraine Warren yet. But I've seen like I've seen a few a couple. I saw that one with Robin Williams. I was kind of like upset. I was like, I've heard awful things from the movie, like you just said. I heard all those things from him doing that, you know. And I even heard him talking some those things like in um, like in, even like even when he was doing uh, UFO mm -hmm. and stuff. So those same things are over and same things have gotten from there. You know? And 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 what's funny is you know I I know that you were an Art Bell fan too and and Art Bell video the Art Bell video people were so easily able to pick that apart because they've listened to Art shows again and again and again and it wasn't like he was picking obscure shows that nobody would listen to on on a replay you know you're yeah. getting shows that people have heard over and over again you know if you're gonna pull audio and I'm not saying this is where it came from but if you're gonna pull Art Bell audio you're not gonna pull it from the Malachi Martin episode. 
or, or any of those episodes because you know the people go back and listen to those ones. And, and that's to me that's it, it's not like he's a rich little. Okay, am I getting old? I said rich little. Just like you know, he could do, he could pretend, he he could make his own voice or uh, he could imitate the voice. I don't think like that was that was all all play. That was and you know people spend money for that. Like I was saying, for five thousand dollars, that that box better be a wonder box. That's here right now. Spend that kind of money on anybody's box. Well, five thousand five thousand is kind of on the low end for how some of those go. I mean, I've seen them go, uh, you know, up in the the tens of thousands because, you know, people f- seem to think that these are um, a rarity that only Huff can build. But in actuality, people have taken them and and broken them apart and found ways to. Co- it's the same with the Frank's box. You know, people yeah. want to co- collect an original Frank's box, but there's still Frank put the schematics up for his boxes. He he didn't hide the way to build them. So there's still copies of boxes that are out there. And just because Frank didn't build them, you know, they're still out there. But the ones that Frank actually built, they seem to have a resale value if people uh, do decide to part with them, which they really shouldn't because he gave them to them as a gift. I mean, I understand, you know. I've made a few of those myself from just, you know, from the thought with the dial, uh, radio, FM, AM station. It's really easy to do. And it's like, uh, and for me, it's like I've done it. I would want to do it at my house, okay? Like I said, I don't need to, you know, even though I'm kind of kicked very I don't need to listen to, you know, what's going on in my house. In reality, it's like if any person in their home should stay, if the spirit knows and hear them or how any way you, can, you have access to hearing them, they're going to they're come at you really hard. You know, that you, and probably not in the nice way, you know, they'll get upset. You're not like, oh, we know you can hear us. Well, no, I have to agree. I'm uh, I'm going to let you go, Lamone, because again, your phone's cutting out a little bit, and I want to get to some of the questions in the I, chat room. But I, I will say this before well, we go: one I, more, I one found more thing you. I have to say. Okay. One more thing. Uh, today was uh, Nash, uh, the Free Comic Book Day all across the globe. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I was hoping that. Everybody got to get got a chance to get there. When you were on on, on the coat, you know, when you were on uh, earlier on Dave's show this week, mm-hmm. when I was calling and talking that Gabriella, I was going to tell you that before you, but you hung up on me. But what that say? It's also Monday, right? This is it. I said, yeah, it's Saturday. You know, people could go and that fifty-one different titles of comic books they were giving away. Yeah, I mean, and, and people are going around collecting all of them, so it's a it's a great thing. It really pushes uh, literacy, and it really pushes people to get into collecting the art of comic books. So, yeah. And, and one comic book from last year is already worth hundred twenty plus hundred twenty dollars. Oh, see, so, there you go. So it's worth getting out there and collecting them. Exactly. So, but I'll listen to the rest of the program, and hopefully, I can see Matt Matt Blue on uh, <laughs> his his program. And those weekend weird. Uh, I remember. I remember meeting women weekly when they're weird. So, <laughs> right. We'll leave it at that. Thank you, Lamone. Yes, have absolutely. have a great night. Boy. Take it easy. All right. Hey, Barnell. All right. I did uh, I did find Lamone on uh, on Facebook, too, by the way, and I sent him a friend request, so I'm hoping he accepts it. I can only imagine uh, what the messages will be like, though. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Good evening, Tim, and oh. good evening to all your uh, colleagues. How's it going? Uh, it's going... Uh, it's going like it shouldn't be going because I should have received everything two days ago. So what I'm by the way, freaky moment! Right as you call in, a publisher's clearinghouse commercial came on the TV in the studio. I'm not lying. (laughs) Well, I figured what I I would do because 
Uh, I was told by Homeland Security not to tell anybody about what's going on, but I decided that since I was supposed to receive this two days ago, I figured I'd air all the dirty laundry because maybe people that are, uh, are holding up the progress, maybe they will uh, speed it up. Um, there will be no car in this. However, there will be two checks of nine figures. That's before the decimal point? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I'll give you those figures. Uh, the first one is uh, a legal settlement against uh, the state of Massachusetts, and I forgot who else, uh, $200 million completely tax-free. I, I, how is the state of Massachusetts on the hook for this if it's coming uh, from Publishers Clearinghouse? They're a private uh, it, entity. It, it's not. It's not coming completely from Publishers Clearinghouse. Okay. Uh, the state is involved because they they were a big part in uh, holding up the delivery for, for two and a half years, like the FBI. Uh, but uh, the state of Massachusetts is involved, and uh, I forgot what. But this this particular uh, amount is a legal settlement, completely tax free. The sweepstakes company. I ha- um, is one hundred and fifty-five million, which I have to pay a tax on. Uh, the tax that I was supposed to pay on was um, eight hundred dollars, which I only sent in six because when I got my pension, I had to pay my excise taxes, or my license was going to be suspended. So. Uh, I asked the, uh, the gentleman from Homeland Security uh, who's in charge of the money, and he said that the judge has control of the money. So I said, well, tell the judge that if he's going to tie this up for $200, because the $200 is in tax money and it has to go either to internal revenue or I forgot what it is. But in his in his judgment, the, uh, the gentleman that was um, – pretending to be a lawyer he's getting 20 years and he's in san quentin right now and there was also a gentleman that identified himself as a federal judge and he i believe is getting 20 years in san quentin and um the uh the gentleman uh, that portrayed the lawyer his family had to send me seventy-five thousand dollars. So I'm getting those three amounts. And it should have been, like I said, two days ago. So the, apparently the judge is holding this up for $200 in tax money. So it got me a little irritated. So I'm hoping that some of the, I hope, in fact, I hope he and the Homeland Security people listen to your show. Well, I'm sure because, they do. Because uh, what I intend to do is if if I don't get the money by Tuesday, I am going to make. Uh, I, I believe the president has a a line that you can call him. I'm going to call the president and I want to have this judge taken off the bench. Well, that's 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 fair enough. I mean, uh, just making a suggestion here, but uh, I think Robert Mueller has nothing to do right now. We could probably get him on this. Yeah, and uh, and not only that, I'm gonna I'm gonna sue him for three times the amount that I'm getting just for the aggravation 
because like I say, you know, they, they, they keep telling me that they want to get it to me fast because it's been over, it's been like two, two and a half years. And now he's going to extend it for $200. Right. It doesn't seem to make any sense. I, I hate to cut you short, but I am going to move on because we have a lot of uh, Steve Huff to cover before the end of the show. But definitely keep us up to date with that. Let us know, too, if you do reach out to the president. Listen, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that President Trump listens to WBSM. I don't want to, you know, make that bold claim. But I will say what? that when we when we put out there that Irene Miller was turning 114 years old uh, or 112, however old she was, I forget off the top of my head. But when we put that out there. She did receive a letter signed by President Trump and the First Lady that was delivered to her here at the radio station. So, Well, he does listen to Howie Koss, so he might he, listen to yeah. WBSM. I mean, we have the best app in the business, so he could be listening to Howie Carr on the WBSM app. For all we know, he could be a spooky South Coast listener. So maybe he's listening and maybe he'll reach out and, and let us know. Okay, have a good one, Tim. We'll uh, we'll keep in touch. You as well. Take care. And, bye bye. And President Trump, if you are listening, just shoot you know slide into my DMs on Twitter, and uh, just let me know. It's it's at Tim Weisberg, but you know that. Uh, so moving on uh, back to the uh, to the uh, Huff discussion. So one of the questions that came up in the chat room is how is it different for Huff to do what he's doing, and for us to say. You know, we're going to have a, a paranormal investigation, and you can come and talk to these spirits that might be 100 years old. And by the way, we're going to charge you for that to be able to do that. So how is that different? And it's a fair question. And I'm going to explain to you how it's different. First of all, we don't put up any claims when we're on these investigations. If it's a historical figure, it's a different story. Or if it's somebody who has, you know, passed away uh, a long time ago, it's a little bit of a different story. But we're very cautiously aware of the living relatives of people who are involved in paranormal investigations. So, for example, there's a place that we investigate. I won't say where it is, but we go there. And when we go there, there was a suicide that took place in the 1990s. And when we, when we investigate that, and it's not Edaville. I'm not referring to the suicide house for those of you who will try and guess that. But when we talk about the investigations here and when we do the investigations, sometimes this person will come through. And I make it a point when we're doing conducting the investigation to say to people, this part can't go up online. This part is not something we can share on the radio show. This is not something we should be tweeting about. This is not something we should be posting on Facebook because there are still living relatives of this person that live in that town, and we don't want to upset them. So this part, if we're going to communicate with this particular entity, this particular spirit, it's just for us. And people understand that, and they respect that, and they're willing to sacrifice, you know, what might be the the best catch of the night in terms of uh, in terms of data, and they'll keep it to themselves because they respect what's going on, and that's a big part about what we do that's different than what he's doing. We have a respect for what's going on. We're not trying to capitalize on who these people were. What we're doing is we're taking a place that has a reputation for being active, or in some places, you know, it doesn't, but we're trying it out for the first time. But we're taking a place that has paranormal activity or the potential for paranormal activity, and we're utilizing that to help them raise money to continue on. And so if you're the person who died in, say, for example, the Smith-Harris house in Connecticut, 
which is a small heritage museum that doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't really have a full-time staff, kind of just, you know, struggles to some degree to be able to uh, put on all the programs that they want to and all the education that they want to give people. I think if you're the spirit of a person who died in that house, and if you want to see that way that house is being honored to continue on, then you wouldn't have a problem with what it is that what we do. Because we're going in there and we're helping them, A, raise funds, but B, keep that history alive. And that's why we do the events that we do. We don't do them because, you know, we want to exploit the spirits that are involved in it. Now, can it come across as exploitative? Sure. And I understand where people might, might have that understanding and that feeling, but it's not intended to be that. It's intended to, first and foremost, keep historical locations going, but also secondly, to give people an opportunity to have a paranormal experience if they've never had one. You know, we can't guarantee that you will, but we want to bring you to a place where we think that it could happen so that you can have your eyes open and you can realize for yourself that it actually is real. So it's it's just education. Now, Bart says, you know, pretend to have a ghost in the house to, to have a business, to keep a place in business. Well, that really wouldn't work because if we're not going in there and getting activity, then nobody's going to go there. And a place can't just survive on, for example, ghost box audio alone. A place won't stay going as a, as a reportedly haunted location if the evidence isn't strong enough. And I understand that people will look at the equipment that we use and call it into question, and I do too, because there is no piece of equipment that will prove that there's a ghost there. All of the equipment that we bring, for the most part, all that it does is analyze and measure environmental changes. And we're making the assumption that those environmental changes are being caused by this paranormal activity. But you have to have some other some other sign of that paranormal activity being there for it to work and for it to, to make a difference. If you just bring me into a room and some lights light up and the EMF field fluctuates and the temperature drops, okay, that's going to make me pay attention, but it's not enough for me to walk away saying there's definitely something there. It's the personal experience that matters. And that's why I will have no problem going into a place and having a night where we're getting a lot of activity on the meters, but no real personal experiences and walk out and say, I don't know if there was anything there, but I'll walk into a place and have a lot of personal experiences, but nothing on the meters and say, I think we encountered some activity tonight. Because that's the difference. It's the personal experience that does it. And it's the personal experience that keeps people going back. Nobody's going back to a place again and again just because their K2 meter lights up every time they go there. Unless they're trying to you know, figure out what it is that makes their K2 meter light up and they're not saying that it's paranormal activity, but they're trying to figure out you know, what sort of electromagnetic anomaly is causing that to happen. Then you know, you're trying to root out the cause of that, but... That's kind of the way that we look at it. Yes, and uh, and to Bart's point, the meters are kind of meaningless. It's If you can use them in a way where 
you, and it sounds weird to say, but I use them more as a way to communicate if we think that there is a presence there. You know, I like to put two K2 meters down next to each other and ask for just the left one to light up or just the right one to light up or to make this one go to this point and this one go to that point. I like to use it as a way to prove that there's something there that's intelligently interacting with what it is that I'm saying. But I don't go into a place with a bunch of meters and record all of the fluctuations that happen and come back and say that's a ghost because it's probably not. 99.9% of the time, there's a different reason for it. And if you pay attention and you figure it out, you'll have that root cause before you even leave the place. I mean, there was a story I've told before, but I'll tell it again. The Braintree Town Hall in Braintree, Massachusetts had this ridiculous reputation of being haunted to the point where people who worked for the town would not go into the basement because they were so afraid of what was down there because every time they go down there, they get touched. And every time they go down there, they feel a presence. And every time they go down there, they see shadows and all of these different things. And so we had the opportunity to go in there and check it out and see if we could figure out what was going on. And because it was something that was coming back as all personal experience and nobody had actually really gone in and conducted an investigation, nobody realized that when you walked down into the basement, as soon as you hit the bottom of the staircase, you were blasted with a high electromagnetic field because right around the other side of that wall was all the circuitry for the building that was all outdated and unshielded. So when you walk down there with a K2 meter, and we actually went down there with a tri-field EMF detector because this investigation was so long ago, I don't even think K2s were a thing yet. But we had Matt Moniz's tri-field meter. And as soon as we walked down there, it's just spiking off the charts to an unhealthy level. And when we go around the corner, that needle is buried because there was such a high EMF field there. Now, what happens when... You have a high EMF field. Well, people will report feeling like they're being watched, feeling paranoid, uh, feeling like somebody's touching them, feeling like there's some sort of a presence there. That is just the natural reaction of a high amount of electromagnetic energy around you. So in that case, yes, the meters were 100% needed, but it was needed to disprove what it was that people were sharing from their personal experiences. So, yeah, the bottom line is we don't know if any of it's real. We can't prove that any of it's real. So everything that we talk about has to be taken with a grain of salt. And we don't hide from that. It's not like we're telling people when they come to an event, you're definitely going to encounter a ghost. We try to talk them through as it's bad business, by the way, to sell tickets to a ghost event and tell people while they're having this experience, well, hold on, let's not get excited. Let's think about this. Let's see what else it could possibly be. That's bad business. The right thing to do if you're trying to sell tickets to a ghost event would be to say, oh, really? What's happening? Wow, it must be a ghost. But we can't do that because that would be irresponsible and because that would just be plain wrong. The right thing to do is to talk them through it and to try to figure out what else it could be and make sure that those are eliminated. And so, yeah, it, does it help sell tickets? No. But does it walk, help us walk away with some credibility and also to help us you know, try to figure out what other people might experience when they go in that same place? Yes, so that's what we do. And there's a big difference between that and putting up a video 
where you're saying to people, we talked to the ghost of this person. Now, some of them are, you know, we'll put up videos that are tongue-in-cheek. Case in point, the masturbating ghost video. You know, we, we, we talk about that one a lot because, you know, people laugh at it and they think that it's funny and we call it a masturbating ghost. But in all actuality, we have no proof that that's what it's doing or that it's even a ghost. It's just an anomalous stick figure that showed up on this camera that, by the way, will put anomalous stick figures all over the place that don't actually turn out to be ghosts. But it's sitting in a bathtub as opposed to just being a stick figure that appears standing somewhere. You can see the fact that it's sitting and you can see what it's doing physically. So we feel pretty confident in making that assumption. But in the end, none of it is definitive. None of it is definitely true. And I will say, oh, well, you know, it's really hard. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. And I can't really think of anything else that it would be. But I never say that anything is 100% absolutely definitive. I've been thrown against the wall by a ghost. But I will never 100% tell you that it was absolutely no doubt in my mind a ghost that threw me against the wall. Because the doubt is still in my mind at any given point that it could have been something else. And part of that is I will argue with you what a ghost actually is. I think a very small portion of the spirits that we encounter would actually be a dead person's soul. Which is a whole other topic for a different time, but... I just feel like there's a difference between bringing people out so that they can maybe have an experience and putting up a video and telling them that you're talking to the spirit of somebody else. Now, if I'm wrong on all of this, I will say that I'm wrong. But I will close this episode out by saying it doesn't sit right with me that all of these strategical reasons to put up a video of a dead celebrity combined with the debunking videos that other people have put up, combined with Steve Huff's reluctance and disdain that he shows for the rest of the paranormal community, the fact that he thinks that he's better, the fact that he has disparaged other people's work and pushed himself as the only true Spirit communicator. When you put all of that together, that's going to get the stink eye from me, and hopefully it gets the stink eye from you. We've put a lot of information or at least a lot of speculation out there for people to kind of go back and, and just keep that in mind. If you are a person who is a fan of his work and you think he's on the up and up and he's 100% legit, just keep the points that we've made tonight in mind when you go back and you watch some of his other videos or when he inevitably inevitably puts up another video as soon as the next celebrity dies. And just have that be in the back of your mind. Have it be in the back of your mind that it's opportunistic. Have it be in the back of your mind that it's dubious in its origin. And have it be in the back of your mind that there's a profitability in this for him.
So just keep those things in mind, and you'll wonder if this really is the altruistic pursuit of spirit communication that he makes it out to be. And Steve Huff, in the final two moments of this show, if I'm wrong, if I'm way off base in any of this, all it takes for you to change my mind is to actually reach out and try to change my mind. It's not like I'm hard to find. Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. I've sent you emails in the past. I think you've blocked me on some social media. Oh, and I thought I would also mention why all those YouTube video comments are always so positive and amazing about all the great work that he does. It's because if you put a comment up there that disparages him or his work in any way, he deletes it. Sometimes they'll stay up for a little while. And people will maybe get a chance to see some of them, but they'll disappear soon enough. And if you think I'm wrong, go under one of his videos and put a nasty comment. Or, or I'm sorry, not a nasty comment. Put anything that, uh, that calls into question what it is that he's telling you. And see how long that, that stays up there for. And see how long it doesn't take for all of his acolytes to turn on you. All of his sycophants to turn on you. So that does it for this week's show. We'll be off for the next two weeks. Uh, we have the Wicked Waters cruise next week, and then uh, I'll be off after that. But then we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more shows. Until then, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Kylie, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular. <laughs>